Portobello, Edinburgh's seaside. This is a thriving, growing community with people doing all sorts of interesting things in the arts, sport and heritage. They all have their stories to tell, which is why we have the Portie Podcast. How well do you know your local MP? Tommy Shepherd was elected in the last general election as the MP for Edinburgh East, which includes Portobello and Craig Miller, but also stretches into parts of the city centre and across towards Leith. He believes his decision to have offices and all of his staff in the constituency is an important part of making sure he represents local people effectively. All of the expenses he's entitled to as an MP are spent locally, something that isn't necessarily that common amongst politicians. In his life before Parliament, he was co-founder and manager of The Stand Comedy Club, but he's keen to stress that he takes his politics very seriously and is quick to acknowledge just how much of a change he's been through in the last 18 months. My world turned upside down when I got elected, and I suppose the biggest thing to cope with is trying to be in two places at once. You you almost feel that you're leading a double life. A lot of the job's in London, and I've had to take a a little flat down there, and you you wake up in the morning, you have to think, where am I today? It's not so much the travelling, although, you know, I do travel up and down to London every week, but I don't really mind that. It's the dislocation, really, of trying to lead a a life in two places and only you know and only coming back to Edinburgh really at weekends and seeing the family here but you've got permanent staff here in your constituency office in Portobello as an MP you, you they give you a budget to run an office and employ staff it's about 130 140 grand a year so it's a substantial amount of money and I use all of that locally here some MPs they have a constituency office and they also have staff in Westminster I'm pretty much self-sufficient in Westminster. I don't have any staff down there. So I have uh, four people working in the office here. And we split our time between, this is the main office here in Portobello High Street, but we also have a, a sub-office in uh, Craig Miller, which uh, is open three three days a week. And that's really because I gave a commitment during the campaign that I would keep a base in Nidri Craig Miller. So every penny I get to spend on being a constituency MP is, is spent in the constituency. But that's actually quite important to have a strong local presence here on the grounds that they are your eyes and ears within the constituency when you have to spend so much time in London. Being an MP is obviously quite a a varied job, but knowing what is going on in your patch is absolutely central. And when you talk about legislation and the changes as we've done to, you know, the governance of Scotland or the, the, the welfare system or the health service or big things like the budget and international affairs, understanding how those things affect the people that you represent is absolutely central to being able to do the job. So I've been able in to take part in some parliamentary debates where I actually read into the record the real-life experiences of real people in this community who are affected by government policy. And I think, for me, that's how I approach policy and lawmaking. It all should be evidence-based. You have to think, what is this going to do to people or what's happening at the moment that could be made better if we make a change? And you're right, having a team of people on the ground almost 24-7. I mean, you know, I know some MPs where you can literally only see them once a week at their published surgery in a church hall or whatever. Now, we do do two surgeries every fortnight, but this office is open nine to five every day. and Anyone can drop in without an appointment, and they do, and say, I've got a problem, can you help? And sometimes the staff, because they're, you know, they're up to speed and all this now, sometimes they can 
do that straight away without even referring to me. And sometimes they have to brief me on it and I get involved and write a letter to whoever it is. But the public have got access to me and to my staff, if you include the two offices, you know, more than 50 hours a week. So what kind of problems are people bringing to you? Actually, a fair number of people are quite sussed about this. They know that MPs deal with some things and members of the Scottish Parliament deal with other things and councillors deal with other things. And, and I suppose most people that come to me do come with stuff that's relevant to being an MP. The two biggest areas are people who are having difficulties with the Department for Work and Pensions. So they are benefits related, a, a large, large bulk of it to do with disabled people who are having problems getting the right money off the, the DWP. or So that's that's one big, big chunk. And the other would be problems with immigration. People who either are concerned about their own status or quite often people who've been born and bred here and are trying to get a family member in to visit and UK visas and immigration aren't even processing their application. So those are two big areas that are the preserve of Westminster that, that have not been devolved to Scotland where... MPs can help and get involved. I think there are probably some MPs who, if somebody comes to them and they've got a problem with the council, they they won't even deal with them at all. They'll say, oh, no, you've got to go and see your councillor because that's nothing to do with me. And we never do that. We No matter what somebody's problem is, if they come in here, they get sat down, they get listened to, and we try and deal with them there and then. If it is something to do with the council, then I will contact the council on, on their behalf, but I will also in, involve the elected councillor as well. We try not refer people on so that they, they have to go through the same rigmarole again with somebody else. You know, once they're through the door, we get their details, we open the file and we, we get things moving. It may well be that I'll then pass it on to someone else like the local councillor to take it forward, but we'll get the process started. But it sounds to me like you need to have a good working relationship with, for example, Ashton and the constituency MSP for the area, councillors like Maureen Child. So you must have a a reasonable working relationship with them. Because I'm the Westminster MP, the boundaries are different. So I've got uh, Ash as my main MSP, but I also have bits of territory that are represented by Daniel Johnson in South, by Ruth Davidson in Edinburgh Centre, and by Ben McPherson in Leith. So I I actually cover four different Holyrood constituencies in, in this Westminster seat. The bulk of it is here in Portobello, Craig Miller, Craig and Tenney in, in Edinburgh East, but it goes all the way over to Tall Cross. So I could be dealing with problems in half the city, to be honest. So what we do is we try and have a good relationship between the professional staff in my office and in the MSP's office offices. The councillors have got a team of people at the city chambers who are a, a contact point for a group of councillors. You can go straight to one person and they will pass it on to the relevant person for you. You mentioned the size of this particular constituency, but there is boundary reform going through, and you have been quite strong in your opposition to the way that's being handled. Yeah. Why? There's two things here. One is, I don't think people are overrepresented. And I think, compared to, to other countries, actually, the number of electors per MP, over 70,000, is quite a lot. So I don't think there's any justification for reducing the number of elected members of parliament. They're talking about taking it down from 650 to 600. I don't understand how that can be justified, given that the population is increasing. Why would you want to have less representation? And I think it's a scandal that they're allowed to do that 
whilst at the same time increasing the number of unelected people in the House of Lords, who no one's got any say over whatsoever. I mean, that, that's an affront to a, a democratic system, in my view. I think they should leave well enough alone in terms of the UK and Scotland as a whole. But then I have a particular problem within Edinburgh, because Edinburgh's population is not only increasing, but it's destined to increase quite significantly over the next 20 years. And I can see no rationale for cutting the number of seats in the in the Lothian region. And the way in which they're doing it also is, you know, it doesn't have any respect for where people think they live and the communities people think that they're part of. It's almost as if it was done by a computer who had no idea what it was like to live in an area. I mean, I have a weird constituency at the minute, but it's going to get even weirder under the proposed changes. And I also think there's a bit of shenanigans going on because it's very odd that they're trying to create a constituency which includes the Newtown and Morningside. That, to me, it looks like somebody just desperately trying to cobble together enough votes to get a Conservative elected. Let's look forward now, because 2016 has been a fairly dramatic year, but 2017 has some interesting challenges ahead, doesn't it? It does, and don't ask me for predictions. I mean, if we were sitting here a year ago and you'd asked me to say what was happening for 2016, I would never have believed that what has happened could have happened. I would not have believed a year ago that people would have indulged in this massive exercise in self-harm of leaving the European Union. I would not have believed that the people of America would have elected Donald Trump as president. You look around and it looks like the world's gone crazy. So I am not in the predictions business. I think all sorts of things might happen. I mean, I think the Brexit stuff is going to run into trouble because there is not an agreement, even within the Conservative Party, as to what Brexit actually means and what should replace membership of the European Union. And I think the splits will begin to emerge. I think, I'm not putting bets on it, but I think there's still a chance that Theresa May could go for an early general election. And that could happen at any time. And the other parties probably wouldn't oppose it. So they would get it through the House of Commons, even though it's not as easy as it used to be to call a snap election. And I don't know what's going to happen in Scotland. You know, the Scottish government has just this week before Christmas published its ask, if you like, of the UK government saying what it would like to happen as Brexit goes ahead, and we're basically asking that there be a further devolution bill, which there would need to be anyway with the repatriation of power from Brussels, but that that devolution bill should give the Scottish government the ability to join the European economic area, the the single market, which is of very great benefit to the, the Scottish economy. And there's no reason why we couldn't be part of the European economic area and at the same time remaining part of the UK as people voted for in in 2014. And it would actually put Scotland in a very uh, useful position of being part of two single markets, if you like. On the one hand, a UK single market, and the other hand, a European single market. It'd be very, very good for Scottish business, for the Scottish economy, and for and for Scottish people. But we were told in 2014 that if people voted against Scottish independence and voted to stay in the UK, the views of Scotland would be respected. And it, this wasn't a matter of Scotland being absorbed into England, but it was a partnership between nations within this landmass. I think we're going to see in the next few months whether that's true, whether actually we have a government in Westminster that is sensitive to and respectful of Scottish opinion, which is clearly quite different on this matter than the people of England and Wales. And if it does, maybe we can achieve some way forward that that will be a compromise. It won't be independence for Scotland, but neither will it be 
the disaster that a fortress Britain would, would represent. And if that doesn't happen, then I think we're in for a quite a turbulent time because I think the demands will grow for people to say, well, we need to revisit the question that was asked in 2014 because, you know, what we voted for then isn't going to exist and the options have changed. It sounds as though your message to the voters of Portobello and the rest of your constituency is basically hang on to your hats. We live in interesting times, to be honest, and you never know what is around the corner and we have seen politics change in the blink of... I mean, there was a time in June when, you know, when Cameron resigned and everything and people were just saying ludicrous stuff in the House of Commons, making jokes about stuff, and then you... But you had checked that it wasn't true because there was a, a period of a few weeks back in the summer where it felt like anything could happen in the blink of an eye. So, yes, I think there are interesting times ahead. It's going to be challenging, and it may well be that we will be trying to rekindle the community and national spirit that we had in the 2014 campaign. The lines will be drawn in different ways, and a lot of people who voted to stay in the UK last time have already contacted me and say, you know, they wouldn't do that if they were asked the same question again because of what's happened. There may be other people who voted yes last time who've gone off the idea. I don't know, but we'll we'll see. It'll be a... Never a dull moment in the year ahead, I'd say. Tommy Shepard, thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure, David. Thank you.